Today we're going to carry on in Hebrews. And just to tip you off, really, so whet your appetite, um, at the end of this talk, for one minute, I'm going to give you the answer to the hardest question I've ever been asked. Okay? So, I, you know, it might just be that I'm pretty thick and therefore everything's a difficult question for me, but I'm going to give you the answer to the hardest question I've ever been asked. But that's quite a way away yet. So what I want to do to start with is ask you a question, which is, have you ever found uh, Christianity or this thing here, uh, it's a Bible, uh, to be slightly confusing? Yeah? Uh, Can we just help one another by doing a show of hands? If you've ever had a moment where you've gone, what is that about with Christianity or the Bible? Could you just be brave enough to put up a hand? Yeah, just take a look around. Phew, you're all terrible. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. That's not it. That's not the point. Me too. And uh, I think that particularly for me, because uh, I'm a really good Christian, I don't know if you've spotted, I'm, I'm really good at it. Um, for me, it's only one little bit of the Bible that I find particularly confusing. Um, it's just one little tiny bit. It's just near the back, and it's called the Old Testament. You heard of that little niche bit near the back? Um, I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you open the Old Testament, and I'm going to do it, and I'm just going to read something. Uh, they abandoned the Lord, served the Baals and the Asheroth. Hmm. And you just go, I don't know what that means. And I don't know how that's relevant to my life. Now, give me the New Testament. And I'm not saying that the New Testament isn't hard or uh, requires thought. Of course it does. But I know that the New Testament is relevant to me because I'm a follower of Jesus. And the New Testament is about Jesus. And I get the books of his life. And then I get the followers of Jesus talking about how you follow Jesus. And I'm a follower of Jesus. So, of course, I want to read that. And then you get people explaining how Jesus' death does stuff for you. And that's great in all these letters. And though some of it's a bit hard, like Hebrews is a bit tricky, isn't it? But you at least know that in theory it's relevant because it's about following Jesus. But then you get the Old Testament. And as one of the youth uh, in Emerge said to me the other day when I said, what do you find difficult about reading the Bible? He just said, do you know... You know, like the Pharaoh story in Exodus, just struggled to see how a story about a Pharaoh is relevant to my day at school. And I think that he just landed exactly what most of us feel about the Old Testament. Because for 807 pages, this book that people who preach tell to read um, isn't about Jesus. It doesn't say his name. And there's only actually 1,024 pages in this book. And loads of those are maps at the end. So like percentage-wise, it's very little bits that are about Jesus. And yet, kind of jumped up Southside check shirt preachers come over and say, dig into the Bible, dig into the Bible, and it will make you grow into a strong oak tree, and you'll be really fruitful for Jesus. And you maybe get home and you open it and you think, I'm just reading a different book because I don't have that experience. Others seem to have their souls refreshed in the presence of the Lord, and I open it and I don't get it. And... uh, I don't know, maybe that's just me, um, but I think it's you too. Uh, When I read the Old Testament, sometimes I um, experience it like when I'm going to the opticians. Uh, Who goes to the opticians? Who has kind of glasses or contact lenses? I normally wear contact lenses today for the sake of this illustration. I'm wearing glasses, which will clunk with my mic, but we'll just make it work. Now, when I'm at the opticians, um, it's a very awkward thing, isn't it, the opticians? Don't you think? Like some things in life are are awkward and some things in life are enjoyable and some things in life are so awkward they're actually enjoyable. And the opticians is that thing. It's so awkward as a stranger breathes on your face and and from this far away and looks into your eyes. And and I always try and be particularly breathy in response. So I kind of go when they say, so what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a youth worker and try and just breathe on them last night's curry breath and whatever, maybe that's just me. Um, But what happens is uh, halfway through the small talk, they do this. 
and they take off my glasses. Now, I genuinely cannot really see now, so if you want to, you know, throw things at me, I won't know who it was. Um, but I'm there, I can see someone waving, I think it's James. Um, and I'm at the opticians, and what they do is they make me look at a thing on the wall, and they say, read it, what does it say? And I go, in my head, well, you're an optician, you should know that having taken my glasses off, I cannot read that thing that you're asking me to read. And to me, it's just kind of a, an incoherent blob of ink that I can't understand. And so what do I do? I just squint and pretend and guess what it is. So I go, H, is it an H? And they go, oh, okay. And you think it wasn't an H, I got it wrong, I got it completely wrong. So you go, N, is it an N? And they go, mm, okay, move on. And then something happens at the end of the appointment, which is that they do that, and they put something in front of my eyes that helps me see and ha removes my headache and stops me squinting and trying really hard, but actually helps me by putting some lenses in front of my eyes actually see, oh, it was a Z. And then there's like a B and an O and a T and an exclamation mark. It's really tricky. Try really trick me with that one. And you can see. And I think that Hebrews 10 verses 1 to 18, can be glasses to put in front of our eyes to help us understand and see clearly the Old Testament and why it's there. Because if you're anything like me, you think, Lord, we could have skipped it and started at page 807. And this passage will teach us that's not the case. This will help us understand more about the Old Testament. Um, we're going to read it in a second, and uh, it's a passage in the New Testament that talks a lot about the Old Testament, and quotes a lot from the Old Testament, and makes comments a lot about the Old Testament. And so what I want to do is not so much look at, this is stretching the analogy somewhat, I don't want to so much look at every detail in Hebrews 1 to 8, 10, 1 to 18 today, and are we going to read it, and you're going to think, oh, I hope the talk's about that verse, because that's really cool. It's not going to be about that verse, um, because rather than looking at all the details, I want to use it almost as a bit of a tool to train us how can we understand how we relate to the Old Testament. By looking at how a New Testament guy talks about the Old Testament, what can we learn, and what principles can we glean for when we open up page 1 to 807. Does that make sense, kind of what we're going to aim for? Just to say, as I prepare to read it, um, I'm aware that if you came to church this morning, what's it, Mark said, needing refreshment and needing the presence of God, and you hear that the talk theme is how do we correctly relate to the Old Testament scriptures, um, your heart might have sunk quicker than the Titanic. I'm aware of that, but just stick with me because I believe what you will see in this passage and what we're going to look at today will stir real love for Jesus and worship, even if you've never met Jesus before in your life, and this is your first time, I really believe this, this talk, this passage will really help you see Jesus is incredibly important and wonderful and beautiful. So we are going to get to, woo, Jesus, but first we're going to think about the Old Testament for a bit. So let me read Hebrews 10, 1 to 18. Uh, it'll come up on the screen and uh, we can follow along. So verse 1, the old system under the law of Moses, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped 
for the worshippers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats and all that other stuff you read about in Leviticus to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, and then this is a quote from Psalm 40, just to let you know, that's not written by Jesus, that's written by David, but yet this guy says it's about Jesus. So just uh, clock that in your mind. He said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You are not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, it kind of now just explains it a bit. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Verse nine, then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant, the first arrangement, the first way you relate to God. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the old setup, the old way, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Jesus does it once, and look what it says he does. It says that he sits down and puts his feet up. Uh, Verse 12, then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. 14, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies, present tense, that this is so. For he says, present tense, and now a quote from Jeremiah 31, which was written 700 years before, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts. I'll write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, hallelujah, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Now that's a long chunk of the New Testament, which I told you was going to clarify things for you. (laughs) And you're thinking, that's quite dense on its own. Um, Let's get into it and see what can we learn from Hebrews 10, 1 to 18, how we are to correctly relate to the Old Testament. All the sacrifices, the pigeons, the bulls, the goats, all that weird stuff, what are we to do with it? Now the first thing that you see, just quickly, is that all the Old Testament stuff that you find weird and irrelevant is from God. It is from God. If you're anything like me, you're tempted to think that you're much more sophisticated than those mugs who had to believe all that stuff ages ago. And uh, we're really trendy and kind of, you know, modern. And they kind of thought all that Leviticus stuff was important. And this passage says, no, 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 no. That was from God. The Old Testament is from God. You can't just dismiss it. You don't have the liberty to shrug at the Old Testament and go, uh, irrelevant, don't need to think about it. Uh, Just look at verse 8. 
Uh, the guy says, animal sacrifices, sin offerings, burnt offerings, other offerings for sin, they are required by the law of Moses. That was given by God. So if you're uh, ever asked, uh, why don't you uh, sacrifice animals anymore? Because it says to do that in the Bible. We're going to get onto some of that in a minute. But the answer is not, oh, because the Old Testament's not important or not true. It's from God. And because it's from God, the Old Testament, page 1 to 807, still speaks to us today because it's from God. Do you see how he quotes in verse 15, Jeremiah 31, written 700 years before he wrote, and now 2,700 years ago from this morning, and yet he says that the Holy Spirit says... Jeremiah 31, present tense. What God has said in the Old Testament is not just a dusty record. God still says it today and still says it to you, which means if you're looking to fuel your devotion to God, you don't just have page 807 to the end and the maps. You have this whole other thing, and you've got to correctly interpret it, and we're going to get onto that, but the Holy Spirit can speak that to you today. Isn't that encouraging? You think you have 808 to 1024 is the only places you can feel your love for God. Not true. You now have 807 other pages to read, to fuel your devotion, to hear from your God who made you and dreamt you up and loves you. So it's from God. But if that's true, shouldn't we therefore still obey all the Old Testament things? Right? So the Old Testament is from God and it says sacrifice pigeons loads. So are we being disobedient to God by not, not doing that? Should we not obey everything that he says? It's from God. You don't like just glibly shrug it off if it's from God. What do we do with it? And that's where you need to know that the Old Testament stuff was never, secondly, never, ever, ever the main course. It was never intended to be the... Um, Giuseppe Pizza at Pizza Express. It was always intended to just be like the little dough balls bit. Um, it was always the starter. It was always just an appetizer. It was always the prawn cocktail. Someone at South said, you've got to mention prawn cocktail because we're not all trendy and have dough balls, all right? Um, I didn't know dough balls were trendy, but it was, it was always meant to be just the starter. Look at verse one. The old system, all the stuff in the Old Testament under the law of Moses, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. And so the system of sacrifices that you are gutted that you landed on in your Bible in a year that day, uh, all of that is from God, but it's only the starter. It's only the starter. Look at verse 6. This is something quite controversial. It's a quote from Psalm 40. So it's not like some new guy in the New Testament is saying this, but even the Old Testament, verse 6, says, you were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. They're commanded by God, but they never were the whole point. They never, it's not like, I don't know if you've um, ever toilet trained or potty trained a child. We haven't done it yet. We're delaying it as long as we can because that sounds terrifying. Um, but if I say to Grace, um, every time you go for a wee-wee, or you need a wee-wee, you need to tell daddy, okay? Now that's true, but that's just for, that's a starter, isn't it? You know, if she's like 
55 and is ringing me up every time she kind of needs to go to a service station, we've got a bit of a problem because it was always intended to just be a starter. Verse, <laughs> weird. Verse 16 uh, quotes from Jeremiah 31, as we've said. But the Old Testament itself is going on about a new thing and another day, and it says that it will happen. And so if, um, you know, you think about the Hebrew Christians that this is being written to, and the guy is basically saying to them, I know that you were brought up under the Old Testament. I know that your whole national identity as a Jewish person is tied up in obedience to the Old Testament. I know that, I know that, but I'm telling you now to leave loads of it and think about this guy Jesus. And they're going, how can you tell us to leave the Old Testament? How can you tell us to do that? And this says, because the Old Testament tells you to leave the Old Testament. The Old Testament itself points away from itself. Just a little illustration. Think about um, crossing the road. Um, you guys have done that recently. You press the button. And you're thankful for the button, right? Button's a good idea. Yeah, generally glad someone did that. You've got the button. You press the button and you wait, don't you? There's an appropriate way that you wait. And then you wait and you wait a little bit longer and you're thinking, God, these cars are all flying through. When's it like? When's it? And then beep, 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 beep and you go. Now, if you stopped and said, no, I love the button. I love the guy who made the button. I want to honor the button guy. Oh, look at the button. Beep, 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 beep. Cars beeping you, and you just stay there. No, the button is itself designed to send you away from the button. And that's what the Old Testament and the old system is like. So when you read it, it's designed to kick you on forward and make you cross the road and go to where it was always meant to get you. Now, uh, you might say, where was it always meant to get me? What's it pointing to? What's it all really about? If it's just a starter, what's the big deal? And uh, you might be able to guess, and we're going to get to it in a minute. Um, But before that, I just want to apply this to some common objections that you might have heard about Christianity Um, And if you're here and you're not a Christian, you yourself might think this. And uh, that's this. Have you ever heard someone say, Oi, you Christians, you just pick and choose which bits of the Bible you obey, right? You you, uh, say that this ethical thing that Leviticus says is still relevant, but then all the stuff about hot dogs and not eating pork and shellfish, you still do all that, except no one should eat shellfish because it's disgusting, right? Yeah? Can I get an amen? Come on. That's disgusting. Uh, but you think, have you ever heard that objection? That you Christians, you just pick and choose which bits you obey. You obey the nice bits, but you don't obey all of the Old Testament. Why do you wear clothes that have two cloths woven into them? Because it says not to do that in Leviticus. And I think that's a valid question. But if you correctly understand that the Old Testament was always pointing away from itself, then it makes perfect sense that some of it would be for then, not for now. Um, And I'm going to put up the most risky slide I've ever put up in a talk now. Lord, be with me in the aftermath. Um, Let's just put this quote up. That sounds really bad. And like Mark as an elder needs to headbutt me quickly. But I think that the whole of the book of Hebrews is teaching us, you know, loads of the Old Testament. It was never meant to be all of that forever. It's pointing us somewhere else. So now you don't need to do that stuff. That's what he's saying, isn't it? When he says, you don't need to go to the temple and sacrifice stuff anymore. He's saying, disobey old commands because it's not for now. 
A little analogy to help you with this. Um, Andrew Wilson, who's a, a preacher and a pastor in London, he uh, talks about a pub trip in the Lord of the Rings to explain this. And I just think, I love pubs, I love Lord of the Rings. This is the best thing ever. So in Lord of the Rings, if you've uh, ever read it or seen it, the goal of the Lord of the Rings is to get the naughty ring into the big fire volcano, yeah? That's like the big story. Take ring and travel through the world and put it into Mount Doom. Um, is this right? Like it's been a while since I've read it, yeah? And drop it in, okay? But at the start of one of the books, um, Mr. Gandalf, uh, uh, he's not called Mr. Gandalf, but I'm very polite to him because he deserves respect because of the eyes and the beard. Um, Mr. Lord Sir Gandalf um, says to Frodo and Sam, who are the guys entrusted with the ring, he says to them, hey, guys, meet me at the Prancing Pony pub, okay? got some stuff to do there with you. Just get to the Prancing Pony pub, okay? So they go to the pub, and then the film carries on. Now imagine if Frodo and Sam go to the pub, and then they go through all of uh, Middle Earth, and they get to Mount Doom, and they do it, and he gets to the very moment where his eyes are bulging, and he's ready to drop the ring in, and um, spoiler alert, like, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you exactly what happens, but he at least gets to the edge of Mount Doom, ready to drop the ring in. And imagine if at that moment someone went, Frodo, stop, 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 stop. Gandalf told us to go to the Prancing Pony. And we, we, we love Gandalf and we obey Gandalf's commands, don't we? And so let's, come on, let's go back to the pub. And they leave where they were always meant to go in the name of obedience to the command. But because it's an unfolding story, of course, that command, to honor that command today, is not to go back to the pub, it's to drop the ring in because that's what the whole thing was about. And I think the same is true. Lots of the commands in the Old Testament, to obey them and honor them now, is to not obey them to the letter, because they weren't intended for now. And if you're thinking, well, Rich, that's risky, because how are we meant to know which ones are for now? So like, do not murder, probably should obey that one. Um, But do not eat pork, we seem to all be fine with that one. How do we decide? And uh, I had an option, which was to do another seven minutes on this in this talk, or write a blog. And uh, probably out of mercy to you, I decided to write a blog. So at 1 p.m. today, on the Church Central Facebook and Twitter, a blog will appear that goes into some of the technicalities. It's a five-minute read on how do we actually consistently choose and understand which ones we obey and which ones we don't. But I'm not going to bore you anymore with that. But check it out at 1 p.m. on the Church Central Facebook. Okay, so if the Old Testament, very confusing just can't understand it. Well, hang on. It's from God, but it's not the main course. It's always telling us to cross the road and go to the big deal. What's the big deal? To correctly read the Old Testament is to see that it points you to Jesus. It points you to Jesus. It was always written by the very wise God (laughs) who weaved in this story all the way through creation. It was always written to teach you about Jesus. Do you know um, when Jesus comes back from the dead, um, spoiler alert, in uh, in the Easter weekend, and uh, do you know I once met someone who was from China and was being um, met up with to read the Gospels, and they'd got to kind of halfway through, and I said, oh, what do you think about like the death of Jesus? And they burst into tears, they didn't know, and then I had to say, please keep reading, please keep reading, can you imagine? And the, the, the despair, but then the joy that they would have felt reading that for the first time. It's funny, isn't it? Because we just know it. Anyway, digression. Jesus comes back from the dead, and um, two people, kind of similar to that that girl, actually, 
think that he's still dead. Do you remember? They're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they're walking along, and it's really awkward to read because you know that Jesus is alive, and they're going, God, it's so sad, isn't it? Oh, we had hoped that he was going to be the guy. He's not the guy. And Jesus comes to them, and I don't know if it's because you can't sometimes see God's presence when you're just despairing. I don't know why, but they don't recognize him. They just can't see him. And they say to him, why are you so happy? Haven't you heard that Jesus died? And Jesus is like, oh, really? That's interesting. And they have this awkward conversation. And then he reveals himself to them. He says, look, it's me. And then it says this. He opened to them, put the verse up, the scriptures, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, this is a Bible study you'd want to be in, wouldn't it? He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He goes up to them and he says, don't be, don't despair. Because you know 2 Kings 11? That's about me. Oh, don't despair. Because you know Joshua 6 verse 14? That's about me. I was going to come back always. And he takes all this stuff that we think is totally irrelevant and he shows it's, 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 it's about me. It's about me. Now, if you've ever read any of those verses I just randomly picked, you might realize that it's not as easy as saying, oh, it's really obviously about Jesus because some of it's still really confusing. So I just want to help you now as we kind of begin to wrap up. I want to give you three ways that your Old Testament points to Jesus. Three things to look for. Three things that when you're gutted that you're reading Numbers uh, or Deuteronomy that you can look for to show you this was always about Jesus. Okay? And they all begin with P and they are problems, prophecies, and pictures. And this is the bit, just to let you know, to tee you up, where I think our souls are going to be stirred in love for how amazing it is that God wrote all of this back into the Old Testament. Okay? Um, so the first thing that you see that points you to Jesus is problems. Sometimes there are moments in the Old Testament where something seems to be going hideously wrong over and over again. And if you're reading that thinking that that's the big deal, what you'll do is go, God, this is hard work to read, isn't it? Right? But if actually the problems in the Old Testament are always intended to tell you this needed a solution, imagine if a solution came. Wouldn't it be amazing if a solution came to this problem? Then you actually get a chance to get your love for Jesus fueled even by bits of the Bible that are intrinsically infuriating. <laughs> so, a problem that it talks about in our passage today is the sacrifice system. The priests were told, go and do a sacrifice and that will cleanse people from their sin. Okay? Go and kill a pigeon in a tent, job done. But they realized that that wasn't cleansing people's sin and it wasn't solving people's problems of guilt. And people know, hang on, I do an awful sin. Killing a pigeon, that doesn't atone for my sin. There's gotta be something better than that. And so it says they go in year after year and day after day. Like if you go to a car garage with your car and you take it in and it says, it's fixed, and you bring it out and it breaks. And you take it in, it's fixed, and you bring it out and it breaks. That's screaming at you, you need a proper car garage that can actually solve this. And then you see in this passage, Jesus is the real sacrifice that gets it right. And he does it once and he sits down and he puts his feet up and he says, job done, I've cleansed you. Judges, do you remember we had that series in Judges with the kind of quite aggressively bloodthirsty video at the start? Remember that? And... Um, and in Judges, there's this recurring problem that's so irritating to read and preach on because every chapter is, and then the people cried out for help and God gave them a judge, a deliverer, a ruler, and the ruler got it wrong and died. And then the ruler got it right and died. 
And then he got it wrong, a new one, and died. And got it right, and died. And you're going, it's never going to say it in chapter 8 as well. It says it again. And you're like, this is so annoying. But it's teaching you, if you want to be ruled well, you need a ruler who gets it right and lives forever. Do you know, you're meant to actually find lots of the Old Testament infuriating, incomplete, repetitive, and unsatisfying on its own because it's the starter. And if you leave Pizza Express after you've been treated to a nice meal out and all you've had is a dough ball, you're going to still be hungry. Of course the Old Testament leaves us longing for more. It was always intended to point us to the solution, Jesus. Problems, prophecies, prophecies. Sometimes in the Old Testament there are explicit things that actually explicitly say one day this guy will come. You got to look out for this guy. Get ready because in the future this is going to happen, okay? And you're not meant to read those, but sadly our Jewish friends do. You're not meant to read those and go, oh, I wonder who that will be. You know, when Jeremiah 31 is in this thing, and it says, one day there'll be a new arrangement, a new arrangement that cleanses you from your sin forever, a new covenant. And you read that, and you go, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that means. And then you get to Jesus on the night before his death, and he gets the cup and the bread, and he goes, this is the blood of the new covenant. And they go, what? That's here. That's now. It points you to Jesus. And so when it says in 1 Samuel 7 that there'll be, uh, 2 Samuel 7, that there'll be a ruler from David's line who will be a king forever, that's Jesus. He fulfills that prophecy. When it says in Micah that someone will be born in Bethlehem, yet whose origins are from ancient times, and he'll be your savior, Jesus. Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. Do you know my favorite prophecy? This is a... I never thought when I was 19 I'd say the phrase, you know, my favorite prophecy. That's a funny thing to say. But my favorite prophecy in the Old Testament, Genesis 3. You only have to get to chapter 3. And uh, God's created this amazing world. Good, 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 very good. Satan slithers in, and like he always wants to do, he wants to tear down and destroy. And he comes in and he lies and he ruins it. And God says to Satan, or the snake that people think represents Satan, and he says to him, you're going to have your time but one day someone will come, seed of the woman will come and will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And you're meant to be looking in your Old Testament, is this the person who's somehow the seed of the woman, just an offspring of a woman? How could that happen? That just sounds weird. Must be a typo. And, uh, and you're looking for the guy who's going to crush the enemy, but you're looking for the guy who's going to crush the enemy and somehow get really injured whilst he does it. And then you get to, amazing, you get to Hebrews chapter 2. And I preached on it a few months ago, and it says, Jesus defeated the devil by his death. Or Colossians 2 that says, Then Jesus, born of a woman, put the rulers and the authorities, the, the evil forces, put them to open shame by his death on the cross. And you go, wow, this is the guy who's born of a woman who's going to crush Satan and get injured in the process. See how your whole book is just so good of God. I think he can't help himself but write it in early. He's like, this is a great story. I'm just going to put it in a lot. And there it is in Genesis 3, fulfilled in Jesus. And the last thing, problems, prophecies, pictures. And I'll finish with this. Sometimes you get in the Old Testament things that make you go, Ah, that sounds a bit like Jesus. I've heard of that story before. That's a little bit like Jesus. 
And I think that that's deliberate. And you're meant to look at various characters and things that go on and go, Jesus is the real deal with this stuff. So this passage calls them shadows. And the big one it talks about here is the sacrificial lamb, the blood of the bulls and the goats. They're a picture. What are they? Are they telling you you've got to sacrifice bulls and goats in Birmingham today? No, they're saying, do you know what you need? You need a a spotless sacrifice to die in your place. And you have one, Jesus. It's saying the high priest, you need someone who can intercede between God and man and man and God, and you have one, Jesus. You know, the scapegoat in Exodus, put your sin on the scapegoat so that the scapegoat can take your sin far away. Is that about a goat? That's about Jesus being your scapegoat, taking your sin far away. Noah's Ark, cool story for the kids' work? Yes. Cool song about animals? Yes. Also, a place in the storms of God's judgment that you can be put by God to be safe forever. And you're not meant to read that and go, oh, should I build a boat? You're meant to read that and go, I'm in Christ. I'm safe from God's judgment. The Passover blood, remember that? Spread the blood upon the door. And uh, they, we've got that on a song in our car, a kid's song. And uh, Ruth said to me, what's a pomodoro? The blood of a pomodoro. And I was like, no, no, it's saying upon the door. She's like, oh, that's embarrassing. Never say that in a sermon. And then I did. <laughs> the Passover blood, blood on the door to hide behind. And God's judgment will pass over you. And you'll never be judged if you hide behind the blood. That's not telling you to put a lamb's blood on the door. It's telling you, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jonah. Asleep on a boat in a storm. Ring a bell? That's just interesting. But somehow in being plunged himself into the storms of God's judgment, saves people. Jesus. David, shepherd but a king. Jesus. David, filled with the Spirit, poured the Spirit on him, anointing him to go up to the enemy of God's people and crush the enemy on your behalf. Jesus. Hosea, a lover who risked his reputation as a godly man to love his wayward wife even though she strays every day? Jesus. Job, is anyone here suffering? Job, the godly man who suffers innocently and yet is vindicated by God? Jesus. It's about Jesus. Ruth. Ruth, someone who travels from their homeland, leaving everything to cling to us in love though we're weeping. Jesus, Ruth's about Jesus. The guy in Daniel, you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who go into the fire. And they're in the fire of suffering, the fiery furnace. And it says a fourth person appeared, one like a son of the gods. You think, I wonder if there'd be a son of the gods who'd stand with me in my suffering. Jesus. The true rock in the wilderness that gets split open to quench our thirst. Jesus. The true bread from heaven, and any Welsh rugby fans, given as a gift to feed us till we want no more. We sing that at Wales Rugby. You know Joshua? Do you know what Joshua is in Greek? Jesus? You know, you're meant to see, oh, a guy called Jesus leads us into the promised land and defeats our enemies. Yeah, you are meant to see that. The whole thing's about him. So we're done, and uh, if you're anything like me, page one to 807 is hard work. But if you know it's from God, and you know it still speaks today, and you know, 
Oh, it's never meant to be the big deal. And where's it pointing me? It's pointing me to Jesus. Then, game changer for our Bible reading. And isn't it just make you marvel at the wisdom of God to write all of that in ahead of time? Isn't he just amazing at weaving a story? Best storyteller ever. Wonderful. Um, Now, I realize as I um, clear off that I never told you the answer to the hardest question because I forgot. And now it's not really the time. So I don't know what to do with that. Would you like to know? Just as a little extra, my mum asked me, and this is one for Father's Day, isn't it? Um, when I became a Christian, you know God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son. Would you, would you do that? And I didn't know what I was meant to say because it felt like I was obviously meant to say no, but then like God tells him to do it. So maybe I'm meant to say yes, I don't know. And that's the hardest question I've ever been asked. And then I realized, thinking about some of this stuff, what if that story is actually about a father who loves his son and a son who walks up a hill with wood on his back for the sacrifice and where God promises, I'll provide a lamb for the sacrifice. And then do you know what he provides? Do you remember? He provides a ram. And you're like, oh. So that's not what you said. And then he says, future tense, on this mountain the Lord will provide a lamb, future tense. And do you know that mountain, what gets built on that mountain? Jerusalem gets built on that mountain. And maybe that story's teaching me about a father who loves his son, puts wood on his back for the sacrifice. And I'm not meant to see, I'm meant to sacrifice my child to show my love for God. Maybe it's about God sacrifice his child to show his love for me. And I wish I'd been able to say that to my mum, and I just sort of went, I don't know. Um, so that was meant to be the end of my talk. That would have been a really good end to a talk. Never mind. Right, I'm done. That's the break. Um, what do we do? Go and get our kids. Mark, tell us.